दर्द हमारा कोई न जाने अपनी गरज के सब हैं दीवाने किसके आगे रोना रोए देश पर आया लोग बेगाने दुखी मन मेरे सुन मेरा कहना जहाँ नहीं चैना वहाँ नहीं रहना Hello everyone. Welcome to the next episode mm. of uh, Material Analysis Podcast and this is me Dilip your host and of course we have a better host today and uh, we have uh, Chandu uh, Pramod and Bella today. Say hi guys. Hi. Uh, hello. And today the topic is going to be on mental health and we would like to discuss few aspects of mental health with you especially from a material analysis point of view of course. First thing being uh, access and uh, how important access is especially for everyone uh, to healthcare including mental health and how it is getting um, completely depoliticized over years and uh, how the causation can be uh, uh, can also be political and uh, we also would like to cover the topic of occupation and mental health and as we go we would uh, like to talk a bit more uh, over mental health from various angles so first i would like to talk uh, start off with uh, chandu and uh, would you like to you know, start the conversation with uh, the point about access and mental health Sandeep? well uh, yeah we like access is definitely an important point like uh, think about first of all think about in terms of countries like in certain countries like when i was growing up um, in india mental health access wasn't really a normal thing mm-hmm. I, I in my fairly large group of acquaintances there was only one person in my undergrad who actually went to a therapist and knowing the whole lot of us i think all of us should have gone to a therapist at some point mm-hmm. um this was not uncommon the like you know now like now i hear among young people a lot of conversations about mental health and it seems that at least in a certain strata of society in a certain strata of english speaking well healed uh, part of society it is becoming more common to talk about these things to discuss resources to discuss you know where you can get these things for cheap if mm-hmm. not if not free but but it was not always so and it's still for most indians is not so it's it's uh, much harder to find a mental health practitioner than to find any other kind of doctor and th- th- this access gradation is a lot between you know global north and global south countries like the few countries i have lived in um so while it may seem that you know in certain countries uh, people have a lot of mental health issues and in certain countries they almost don't uh, actually it just may be a com- complete matter of access uh, of course political decisions play a huge part in that access roles as to if mental health is funded or not like reagan era america did a pretty huge number on how mental health was viewed in america and and sort of the effect it had on other social issues like homelessness etc so guys uh, we want to talk about uh, the material aspect of 
this particular uh, like mental health well one of the things that i was going to add is that you know there is also a, a, a pathologization of mental illness that has existed for a long time where everything you know i mean knowing what the medical establishment is in india um we know that for instance you go to a doctor and sometimes you complain of symptoms they can actually dismiss it and say you're imagining this maybe you're depressed about something you know maybe you're anxious and stressed and stress ki wajah se you know you have the the constant sort of uh, jokey uh, generational gap or whatever everything is attributed to stress So then on the one hand there is that where actual physical ailments are dismissed saying that you're actually you know re- responding from uh, uh, you know you're, you're making these up because you have mental health issues and on the other hand though if it is a mental health issue and somebody is making things up there are no actual resources to access so yes there is a there is a severe paucity of of psychiatric and psycho uh, psychoanalytical services in many hospitals um if you go to district hospitals for instance the the state the state of their psychiatric departments are appalling um i would actually i actually imagine if you had mental health and you went there it would actually exacerbate things and make it far worse um and of course there's a tremendous social misconception about what mental health is why people get depressed um how to tackle it and so on so these are i think socio culturally speaking there is a huge barrier to surmount there itself but access makes all of it seem all the more impossible because all that seems to work are our individual initiatives and that's really a problem I mean, like one thing that we should talk about, I think, is the new bill that's coming. I guess which has guaranteed, uh, you know, you know, free access to mental health care at public hospitals, and what it does to whether I mean, like, to reduce or you know, to uh, uh, you know, normalize mental health, uh, you know, as. i mean like because considering how mental health issues are still considered taboo in families and you have for instance particularly for instance in india the rate of suicide amongst housewives is very high and um, you know uh, considering you know there are i mean like i'm not just going to say the reason the rate of suicide amongst housewives are very high is because um uh, is because um, of just mental health issues but i mean like there are obviously certain societal factors that push people to that as well but uh, it's also true that you know there are issues that um, are not being addressed and you know proper redressal is not being sought when the when it could so i think that's something we should talk about i think we should also be talking about the new bill that's coming in uh, that has come in rather So, I think right. even in 20 2017 2018 there was a a bill tabled I know I think it made some fairly no, no, it, it was recently passed it was recently passed uh, I think a month or so back I guess it was a passed month? okay uh, yeah, yeah yeah it was passed uh, the basically right now if you go to a public hospital so prior to this basically um, mental health was not treated on par with other forms of healthcare but now if you go to a public hospital and their mental health facilities mental health care is free so i mean like because well, what i was basically saying is that there is a lot of stigma towards seeking help for mental health issues right sure. uh, so um, i think it's important to discuss like you know how the pol- politics of it and how the societal uh, view of mental health like for instance yeah. in uh i guess in the west it's far more acceptable for you to go visit a therapist right yeah. whereas in india in india if you go visit a psychiatrist uh, 
I mean, I can speak from personal experience here. Um, there's a lot of discussion, even amongst uh, more progressive families. I, should, I mean, like, quote-unquote progressive families, there's this entire taboo regarding seeking help for mental health issues. And, you know, there's this fear that if you are seeking help for mental health issues, that means you're insane or, you know, I mean, like, there's this entire thing that, you know, you, oh, no, oh, my God. What, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So I do also feel though that it's worth stressing that many of the doctors, even in psychiatric departments, however, are not as equipped as they should be. I mean, I do feel a lot of the stigmas that are culturally held are sometimes repeated by some of these doctors. You know, there is sometimes a lack of sympathy, uh, a desire to oh, yeah. just promptly, promptly prescribe pills and say you'll be fine, you know, do this, do that, do some yoga, do some meditation. I know somebody who went to a psychiatrist who said something like that. Uh, and it was just, you know, there was just like there was no point. You know, I may as well have sat at home and actually looked at yoga and meditation myself. Instead of having yeah, to and I think we should also get into my like, you know, since we're talking because this is I mean like I think the issue is complicated and the politics of it is yeah. also complicated apart from the science of it. Yeah. Uh, is we should also be getting into things like, you know, there's also a fine line between, you know, being, uh, you know, proper medical care and also over-medicalizing sometimes. Because uh, as we sometimes see in America, there's this tendency to prescribe drugs that people don't need, for mm -hmm. instance. Mm -hmm. Or again, speaking from personal experience, again, there's this tendency to, uh, among certain psychiatrists, to jump to the worst possible con conclusion. And... Mm -hmm. Prescribe, I mean, diagnose people with extremely uh, debilitating mental health issues, uh, mental illnesses, and uh, actually, uh, you know, the issue might be somewhat minor. There is a minor. real fear of overdiagnosis, considering this is a field where not even a few decades back lobotomies were a thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. this is. Yeah, a, I this mean, is ECTs, a... ECTs are still. I mean, like I still know people who are uh, prescribed ECTs, right? I mean, yes. ECTs are a scary experience. Hey, I mean, bringing back the ECD for the audience who uh, who doesn't, I mean, like, know what an ECD is, electroconvulsive therapy. That's basically what's called shock therapy. So, yeah, in popular parlance. Bringing back the conversation to access, to me, I just feel that uh, if you if you take uh, the the policies of this present government over the past few years, it seems to me that there has been there has been large number of cuts to public. Uh, you know, funding to public hospitals in essence, and they have replaced yeah. it with weird PMJs and so yeah. on and so forth, and especially insurance-based model. And yeah, there is clear evidence um, uh, that we have seen that it, it it works much better in a society like ours to go with a, a model where uh, the healthcare is completely free and uh, the public hospitals are funded much better than the insurance-based models. And it, if we are going to like destigmatize mental health and if there is going to be if you are going to talk about wide access i think like increase of funds especially overall for healthcare and uh, more geared also towards mental health would be uh, one of the important points for the large uh, large section of the population and right. yeah one thing that i would want to go before we talk about you know the, the, the diagnosis or uh, the other stuff is that yeah, to me it seems that uh, Mental health illness, in, in essence, as an issue, you can say it with, within an individual, it's a chemical biological uh, problem, right? If you strictly speak scientifically, but the causation is often, uh, the causation is depoliticized, like for instance, uh, 
we never talk about like structurally capitalism being an issue or like uh, one of the causations for mental uh, mental illness or indian uh, indian mm-hmm. context caste being one of the uh, important contributing factors or gender being one of yeah. the important contributing factors so mm-hmm. yeah. like th- there is a wide uh, kind of you know like uh, decoupling important structural factors that could contribute to mental illness and this to me like has a huge benefit for uh the people who want to keep it that way you know to to who want to keep it in a sense that uh, like it is an individual atomized issue rather than like as a community what we can come together and then solve these uh, structural issues yes. and i want to hear you your guys take on uh, there is a small example a medium example and a large example of why structural reasons of uh, you know pervasive mental health issues don't get addressed and because of course the answer is that somebody gets to benefit from that so a large example is that there are studies which show that there is uh, at least correlation if not causation of widespread poverty with mental health mm-hmm. um, th- this has been studied across cultures this has been studied across um, you know um, various economic factors have been uh factored in and and th- this is like pretty much established that if you are poor if you are struggling to you know get by the next day if you are literally living paycheck to paycheck or worse um it will have a serious effect on your mental health that is pretty much established so you know acknowledging that then then makes us like uh, then builds on the case against uh, the current capitalist order and that is something that is so pervasive so dominant that you know there are a lot of people who would, who would rather you not think like that to a point that it sometimes become hilarious like you know there were job cuts due to certain technologies and there were ceos of large companies who were asking that oh we should you know have uh, anxiety resolution mechanisms for employees who are fired so we'll keep firing people but we will give them anxiety resolution so that level of cynicism does exist there a uh, middling example but on same lines is i would say uh, widespread studies have shown that mental health becomes a problem a huge problem in areas under occupation um, kashmir for example has had a spike in mental health issues interestingly it's both it happens in the in the occupied population and the occupier forces like the soldiers who are in the occupation as well we have had terrible lessons from the second world war and a lot of those lessons uh, like are recorded and yet we choose to forget about them and that's terrible i mean um, these discussions need to happen more as to yes. how the mechanics of occupation work and then there is a smaller example but still pretty pointy uh in india especially there is a striking number of students who commit suicide and yes. uh, recently there were uh, cases uh, across and and sometimes the response to these cases is again on the lines you know when i was saying that these companies they are going to make like anxiety resolution mechanism similarly for the students yeah. you hear st- stuff like oh we will install ceiling fans which if you hang up from a larger weight than 40 kilograms the fan would collapse so completely ignoring the structural reasons why students go through such stress the uh, the so called system of merit the caste dynamics that are present yeah. in campuses both elite and non elite the class dynamics that are extremely present the language dynamics that are present 
um, these these commit an almost violent assault on student bodies on a daily basis. Yeah. Uh, the fact that uh, students take their own lives, it, it's it it has been fairly common. I come from an engineering background. I can tell you horror stories, things I have heard. Um, right. But like you know, the response that we would have ceiling fans changed and all like speaks about the kind of social brutality that exists, the sort of cavalier attitude that exists towards mental health. So these are my three examples of um, structural factors being yeah. ignored. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So guys, yeah yeah so like in china like in china we've had that in infamous thing about foxconn factories having suicide nets right yeah yeah yes where you base and the other thing i guess that's important to note here is the fact that for instance when i was talking about uh, there being an exceptionally high rate of suicide amongst housewives for instance yeah um and we are not factory sometimes we forget to factor in uh, you know the fact that uh, what drives people i mean like what triggers depression what triggers people to commit suicide are eminently social factors yes. um and i also think for instance um uh, the medicalization of some, i mean like you know there is obviously a fine line here because i'm not going to say that you know we should not be talking about it in medical terms because i know from personal experience that it's important to do so but at the same time uh, you know ignoring social factors here is also a very dangerous thing um uh, and you know there is also i mean like this is somehow what i perceive uh, you know that's happening especially in america for instance and uh, i think it's important sometimes to talk about america because we seem to be getting a lot of our lessons from america uh, mm-hmm. regarding how regarding how we should practice healthcare in general mm-hmm. uh, now america for instance has this entire thing about um, you know uh, almost everyone is going i mean like a lot of people are going and visiting shrinks um, many of these problems are again triggered by social factors um, but the fact is as uh, i think uh, dilip pointed out is the fact that uh, you know a lot of this is also due to a very atomized look at society and the fact that these problems which might be more structural in nature are basically reduced to problems of the individual yeah. so uh, yeah. you know uh, but if you add you to what... sorry i was going to yeah, no, no, no. add to what uh, chandu and pramod was saying i think um, one thing is that when we talk about even categorization and the study of mental health the fact that a lot of these studies are in the us many of them are actually funded by uh, the american military for uh, for their soldiers because that has been one of the primary uh, you know the most visible sort of ways in which mental health is is damaging to the establishment right in that soldiers come back with ptsd and are unable to sort of assimilate back into regular life so a lot of ptsd literature is actually very american military centric and very much catering to circumstances of people who have served in wars and then returned home whereas i think uh, samal jabr who's a who's a palestinian psychiatrist actually points to the fact that the ways in which you diagnose 
PTSD for uh, for Americans has actually not worked for for regions like Palestine, where the occupied people um, are, are sort of there is no post to the trauma. I think is what she said. So she's saying that you know when trauma is an ongoing thing, uh, the kind of mental health needs and resources you need to mobilize are actually very different in scale of say someone who has to sort of integrate back into normal society. So there's there's all sorts of issues with how even mental health categorizations work. Um, who is doing the diagnosis? Uh, terms like you know whether whether you're borderline personality or bipolar. A lot of literature suggests that these things overlap. That there's um, you know a lot of the a lot of it comes down to what psychiatrist is actually doing the kind of diagnosis. Um, One the difference between I mean like the difference between sometimes a schizophrenia diagnosis and a bipolar diagnosis is basically whether the patient responds positively to lithium. For yeah. Instance. Yeah. So if you're responding positively to lithium, then they'll diagnose him as bipolar. If you're not, then they'll diagnose him as schizophrenic. Uh, I yeah. mean, like, it's it's a pretty inexact. I mean, and the thing is, I'm not necessarily blaming the medical practitioners. It's it's a very complicated... Uh, <laughs> it's probably one of the most uh, difficult uh, medical yeah. parts of the medical sciences. And it's also one of the things we, un- I guess, we understand the least well. Right. So um, that's a thing, and but it's also a thing that you know there are there are so many complicated factors governing someone's mental health. Right. Right. Uh, it's not right. like uh, uh, it's something that you know you can't really necessarily just point to one factor or some one uh, you know and say that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you'll see that there are people who are, I mean, like, yes, it's true that there are genetic predispositions to having mental health issues. There are mental health issues that run in the family, for instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, what serves as the particular triggers for certain, uh, for the manifestation of these issues? You right. know, people can, people can be leading uh, healthy lives quote-unquote healthy lives for a very long time and then suddenly certain events cause them to completely have a breakdown in their mental health right Uh, Right. and these things are again once again very understudied for instance you know women's mental health issues uh, at one point of time were basically just dismissed with women being hysterical right yeah i mean the word hysteria itself basically uh (laughs) refers to the uterus before we go on to this i just want to make one general point from what Chandu said, because I've been thinking about it a lot. The thing is that I'm, I'm just imagining for myself. And the, so we are in the era of like for the past few years in, in neoliberalism where we have, the, especially the labor has so little negotiating power. So yeah. there is always this anxiety. There is always like the, the precariousness that surrounds one's job and combine this with like a massive migration that we have to we have had to do to find jobs right? like in all walks of life mm-hmm. and to me like just to add this point uh, living from paycheck to paycheck this is all the, the the anxiety and the lack of control and the lack of stability is also one of the fueling factors i would say uh, that i have seen 
and one more thing i would add to that is also my real concern is all of our models of care and uh, recover, quote unquote recovery if if we can imagine that there is a mode of recovery from mental health um seem to be just centered around making sure that the individual um, is uh, individual's issues and traumas are managed right there's pain management is an entire field now and i feel like the the larger conversation about how we create a community of care whether there are social transformations required whether there are communal transformations required you know for institutional culture for instance the entire emphasis seems to be on let's have counselors on campus let's tell people here's a suicide helpline you know these are all just individual modes of like immediate care that you can provide but the larger institutional culture itself that triggers many of these behaviors is simply ignored and nobody wants to talk about it it's an inconvenient truth yeah. nobody wants to wants to actually address the elephant in the room which is our professors and upper management taught to treat students who are mental care uh, mental health issues with some kindness compassion uh, are there ways in which what you teach and how you teach are actually also being monitored and looked at um, i don't want to i don't believe in policing this past a point but i do think that we have to also give people uh, give people in positions of power some degree of actual training or understanding of what mental health issues are and the fact that students are going to be confronting some very big things yeah uh, apart from the student thing there was another thing that i mean like has been in the news recently and mm. that's been the suicides related to the nrc right uh, yes right and there was a rather bizarre scroll article i mean like i have a tremendous respect for the reporter who uh, wrote that uh, article but <clears throat> there was this rather bizarre his articles are genuinely good but there was this one bizarre article that uh, jumped out to me just remember where he was talking about certain uh, suicides that were going on in detention camps and as well as in as well as related to the nrc and then he goes and he talks to a, a guwahati based psychologist mm-hmm. and uh, i was like uh, why would you need to do that i mean like there is a clear case of this you know i mean like yeah uh, yeah obviously yeah, why would, why would you go and talk to a psychologist about why these people are committing suicide when they're explicitly saying that they're committing suicide because of the sheer anxiety of being put inside detention camps yeah right? yeah uh, uh and that really strikes me right that uh, here you have a system and i mean this is very naked because this is this is something that is that almost like jumps out to you like here is something there's an anxiety there's depression related to the fact that you might not be a citizen anymore that you will probably be jailed for life for no fault of your own mm-hmm. uh, that you might face a uh, face deportation etc and that is essentially why certain people are committing suicide in assam and now in west bengal yeah and uh, the response of this uh, i mean like this scroll reporter was under a lot of pressure from the assamese national so that's true but you know but for him to like just go and then talk to a medical health practitioner about why these suicides are happening and the medical practitioner also res- did not respond with in, and this was interesting because the men- mental health practitioner when he went there she did not basically say that you know this is happening because there is an institutional institutionalized problem of uh, discrimination against a certain minority population in assam that yeah. is, she is not she didn't say that it's because that there is this this there's a very real anxiety and there's a very real fear i mean with consequences of this you know your people's lives being destroyed by this particular exercise uh, she just like pointed to some 
okay, so you know, this is what happens during when people are growing up, blah, blah, blah. And so this is like one of those other factors. I mean, like it just got tre- treated as some kind of triviality. Famous case also of one particular columnist. I don't know if we should risk naming him, but he basically suggested that Rohit Vemala was depressed and that's why he killed himself. And people are making too much out of his caste identity and the social factors that led to it when all of the events that led up to his suicide were very clearly documented. And it's actually so much trauma that he underwent is, is self-evident, but there's still a need for people to say, no, but this is somebody with mental health. And that is why he took the extreme step, unlike other people who didn't, you know, and this, this is, yeah, this is very terrible sort of idea that, you know, there are certain people marked out as particularly vulnerable because of the state of their mind rather than anything else, yeah. instead of actually talking about political and social events that are clearly... Yeah, the- I mean, like... I mean, like, you know, this uh, innovation that Chundu was talking, this quote-unquote innovation that Chundu was talking about. The fan. Uh, he's in IIT Madras after the recent suicide there. Yeah. Uh, this was something that actually is very, very common in this town called Kota in Rajasthan, which basically oh, yeah. has become this hub for all these coaching centers oh, yeah. for um, getting into the IITs and medical colleges. Yes. Uh, where basically school children are going to these cram schools and basically spend their spend two years of their lives slogging away trying to crack certain entrance exams. This kind of high pressure environment where yeah. you know you're made to feel like a failure if you don't uh, get into a particular institution where yeah. you know you're it's made to seem like your life basically depends on money getting you. I mean, like, you know, if you actually step back, it's kind of bizarre and it's almost, uh, you know, it's very absurd that, you know, anyone would think like that, but it's it's a factor. It's a major factor. And, uh, yeah. you know, to dismiss dismiss such cases and say that, you know, that, uh, you know, that this is absolutely not societal and this is some kind of, you know, problem of the individual. So, yeah, I, I mean, like, you know, it's very common to say, okay, so so these these people are committing suicide, but these, these people are not. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, everyone responds differently to different things. That's true. But, uh, you know, the fact is that if we had a healthier environment, then no one would be, I mean, like, the rate of suicide would be much, much lower. That's also true. And yeah. I think that's the conversation that people don't want to, have. I mean, like people who just say that, oh, it's just an individual problem and this person was depressed. It, it can be true that someone uh, is more susceptible to depression. It can be true that some, some people are more susceptible to anxiety, but it does not say why. But then again, not everyone with depression or anxiety is committing suicide. And right. why they're committing suicide and the particular things that are driving them to take that step is also right. important to discuss. It's it's very interesting that, you know, you can have entire cultures which sort of uh, forcibly shut their eyes to something which could be very obvious if you are looking at it from the outside. The quotas problem specifically, um, it, it looks a lot like, uh, I mean, you guys know, right, that in Japan there is a lot of people who commit suicide. And yeah. Yeah. often those suicides are, con- are concerned with very toxic workplace cultures. And this entire evolution of Japanese capitalism. And the interesting thing is that Japan, for what it's worth, does have a very, um, very strong welfare state, actually. Uh, and uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. so does. does South Korea. So, yeah. so does South Korea. I mean, like, and Japan and South Korea have some of the highest suicide rates among the entire OECD. Uh, for instance, in Japan, one of the things that's often discussed is the workplace culture, right? And the workplace culture is that even though 
companies basically take care of your medical insurance uh, work hours are very favorable there are uh, worker rights are strong that in mm-hmm. japan mm-hmm. there's also this culture that basically where you this is workplace culture where you have to show that uh, you know you're working for instance that you're making an extra effort so there's this bizarre culture of you know bringing in pillows to office to pretend you're pretending asleep, to work pretending to, to work yes pretending so, no, pretending to sleep pretending yeah. to sleep because that pretending basically shows that you're because tired because the idea working. is that you worked so hard that you have to sleep i know people are encouraged to put in overtime unpaid overtime by the way uh, as to show their commitment to their work uh, and this thing is ingrained socially uh, to a very large extent that you know if you're working for a company and the company is taking care of you you have to show loyalty to the company and you know by what's one way of showing loyalty to the company by putting in unpaid overtime and this tends to take put take a massive toll on the people who are involved with uh, work in japan and another thing related to japan is the fact that they have a very big problem with regards to women in the workforce uh women in the workforce unlike men in the workforce who get permanent jobs women mostly are uh, hired as contractual workers and then there is also a high rate of suicide among japanese women which you know you sometimes you tend to forget um uh, and these things i mean like with regards to japan it's very very linked to the kind of uh, capitalist culture that they've sort of like uh, developed in the post war years and another thing i mean like the again suicide rates again if you look at you know the, how the economy has progressed and where these things line up to a lot of these spikes are actually related to what is known as japan's lost decade that mm-hmm. entire or rather lost decades that period from the late 80s to the early 2000s when basically per capita income in japan stagnated and it's a rut that they're still in for for what it's worth um uh and the stagnation of uh, you know thing and this is leading to basically companies downsizing this is leading to uh their economy being in trouble although they're a rich country i mean like they're very well off in a rich country but uh, it is uh, it is a big problem for japan and the, you know the, the thing is that these things are very very linked to how the economy functions you see that with the uh, Uh, the recession in america as well suddenly suicide yeah. rates go up yeah. as people get yeah. fired you know uh, it's very obvious to us sitting here to talk about japan and people do so people take japanese <laughs> work culture as an example yeah, but if you ask the japanese they think their almost absurd work culture is absolutely normal i'll give you some examples of their work culture which to me almost sound comical the fact that many japanese employees stay with the same company for their entire life since they're out of college the fact that uh, uh, as pramod was saying most women in these large zaibatsu esque companies are treated in a manner which is you know i mean india is a deeply misogynist country but this is like some some real weird shit man like this is this is like stuff which which is borderline dystopic it's cringe yeah And it's like you know the things which we debate about which we sort of want to hide away in india like you know women being given more work at the workplace in terms of like 
like care work or uh, you know uh, like company events and stuff and then people argue about them and then people say that this is how misogyny operates uh, those things are official part of japanese work culture the the sort of things we sort of try to slide away from um is is it too far a reach to actually say that in many ways this is actually the logic of capitalism it is to expect obscene things from managers it's to train a, a, a managerial culture where they think of people purely yes 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 i, I don't I, yeah i i i don't think that this strange japanese culture does not come out from vacuum or something but then of course like pramod said that it's like it's not as if you know they are the only capitalist country on earth so what is specific about the japanese kind of capitalism which leads to such things or for, for, yeah. for 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 uh, for that matter the south korean style of capitalism which is also very similar so i can say I... one thing about one thing about south korea for instance is that this kind of ethic work ethic is instilled from uh, like from childhood and right. uh, south korea again has been a very um, i mean like you know people tend to contrast it with north korea and think of it as a <laughs> south korea used to until very recently was a very undemocratic society uh, it had multiple dictators etc and uh, patriotism was very very ingrained from childhood um, basically their schools etc would basically um, much like i mean like much like what you hear about north korea a similar thing is to happen in south korea where patriotism and discipline were instilled from childhood and um, discipline in a certain sense because of south korea's political economy discipline and obedience towards your place of employment was also something that was instilled from childhood to just summarize what pramod has said and what you guys have been discussing thus far for instance to completely decouple the uh, structural factors for instance when it comes to nrc and to say uh, to look at like suicide due to nrc and wonder mm, what's happening here when it comes to people jumping through the roof in uh, in apple or uh, uh, the people who are under complete pressure uh, uh, from educational institutions and so on and so forth like people who look at these things and still wonder whether there are structural reasons they really baffle me but one thing that i really want to talk about uh, moving on is that you know i kind of feel that over the past few years or at least the past 40 50 years or um, uh, even longer than that how individual self worth has been defined by capitalism and how even we are all kind of you know uh, enslaved to this uh, definition for instance it's always the material affluence how much of material affluence you have or uh, like whether you are a winner in life or whether irrespective of which social background you come from or the class background you come from or how much that could be a structural disadvantage that is that if you work hard enough and if you you know play by the rules and if you are uh, if you are intelligent and if you are smart and mm-hmm. then you are supposed to win and and that is the only uh, you know worth in your life that is an individual self worth is how much he is materially or she is materially affluent and how much smart and intelligent and how much of uh, you know how much he or she can portray this in in life and th- this this sort of is really personal to me like because all of us you know even one way or other fall uh, uh, you know into this or like we we kind of adopt this definition uh, in our life as far as i have seen like is it possible even to say like we can we not talk about individual self worth in this manner 
to to you know to uh, what about having compassion and being nice and being kind and being a part of community and having this culture of collaborating and being together with each other and being for each other is how we can uh, you know define worth in some way instead of this the individual self worth is actually always defined by how capitalism defines and even though we try to deny it like even though we try to move away from it in some way in in our minds we are calculating we are comparing with each other and like how good we are in the profession and like whether we are better than the other people and it, i i feel like it's always an entrapment in some ways what do you guys think about it i mean yeah i i agree with that i don't think there is anything else to say right i i have like kind of a landmine of a topic to open if you guys want to comment on it i'm just wondering if you guys want to comment on like being for your friend is emotional labor oh god nonsense <laughs> uh, okay that's a, i think that that whole thing is nonsense i i don't agree with no no, no that's a i think that's a that's a different topic altogether i mean like that's something that we should have really put in in the episode on abuse of terminology i guess Oh, okay. <laughs> First of all, there is abuse going but, but, on. But 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 I will say this. I will say this. The the concept of emotional labor, when it was coined by Ali Hochschild, again, I mean, like it does relate back to a previous point we just made here. Yeah. Uh, the concept of emotional labor, and when Ali Hochschild conceived of it, was actually based around certain professions, basically around like, for instance, call center employees, waiters, etc. Need needs you to have an idea of the. emotional state of the customer so nurses is actually a good example yeah. so yeah, yeah nurses she looked at nurses waitresses um, and air hostess something of that sort uh, under the, there are certain professions which actually do require you to pretend to be uh, you pretend to smile and pretend to be happy when you're actually not and to you know behave respond politely when the other person might be incredibly rude to you and what hookshield noticed was that you know this tends to take a toll on the uh, people who are working in these professions right mm-hmm. and uh, that in, in a sense that does negatively affect their mental health it creates creates a lot of stress etc and this kind of labor as she uh, pointed out was very very uncompensated uh, that term being used to basically you know say that you know being nice to people in general is kind of like doing emotional labor is i think is a big abuse of terminology and yes i think another one of those ways in which you know people reduce serious issues into very frivolous oh, ones, also I also i not just frivolousness i think that's a insidiousness of capitalism where you have started to even view friendships as transactional and exactly to me that is quite harmful that's not what friends are supposed to be i'm just going to add that this probably was also triggered by that recent twitter you know yeah that that's, by that's somebody yeah, who basically was talking about you know do you can you have do you have a template to offer for yeah you know, that, that's what where it comes space to support them the larger concern i have is let's say we are going through something traumatic of our own and somebody else reaches out to ask if they if you can listen to them or help them out with their traumatic situation i guess my concern is it seems to be implicit now that you grieve in your your corner you deal with your little emotional problem in your corner and the other person has to deal with their problem in emotional corner and then when you're in a sufficiently whatever uh, resolved state of mind you can then open your life up to people uh, in my experience relationships are never that clean 
um they're never that i mean i i, I think a lot of people went to went on to call that person sociopathic and so on i don't want to attach labels but <laughs> i personally do not uh, subscribe to the idea that relationships have to always be this yeah. this and you know you think about india like who has the space to say yeah, yeah it's you see your when i have time i will because we live in we live with families we live around yeah. other people all the time it's a literally <laughs> erroneous way of looking at how like you know like okay the one charitable way to look at it is that somebody say on the spectrum might find those templates useful because they wouldn't get what so summarizing arguments everybody what arguments i have none i have none someone else summarize <laughs> okay <laughs> Well, I was just going to say what I said before, which is that um, I, I think that um, mental health has unfortunately become very apolitical or depoliticized as a topic. Um, I think there is a lot to be said about understanding it materially from the kind of social structures we're coming out of and social relationships in India. Um, and I think that these are these should be a part of all of our debates about mental health. These should be about finding community healing, community support, uh, and 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 finding a, a sort of circle of a network of friends and family who will care for you um and i think at the end of the day you know we 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 need public resources to actually provide help when those may not be available because if we are in a city and we don't have help and something happens uh, we should be able to find a therapist without having to like constantly ask somebody do you know someone do you know someone who do you recommend are they decent will they not judge me um uh, my final few lines are that uh, first of all we would like to reiterate we are not medical practitioners of any sort the episode was not uh, us going into biological phenomena of mental health it was a material analysis into the sociological um, relations that this this phenomena has with the outside world and it, it like most other phenomena is political in the sense that how we react to mental health or how we even perceive mental health depends a lot on social relations in that uh, sense i would say that uh, we should be supportive of larger uh, funding of public health which should incorporate mental health we should work on destigmatizing it we should where possible push for uh, you know like we we can't solve this thing permanently without solving the political economic problem of yes. alienated labor of exploited labor uh, of various co- kind of labors as as well as other things like caste as occupation as military occupation as you know internal and external violence within communities etc those all have a deep impact on mental health and yes. finally i would say that you know we should all sort of resist uh, atomization of the mental health discussions we should resist sort of trying to you know chamber them in these very cynical solution specific things oh let us have suicide proof fans or let us you know th- that sort of mm-hmm. shortcut methodology mm-hmm. which tries to sort of make these cop outs that's all i have to say right okay we have now presented the final uh, summarizing task that we have essentially what we are trying to say is that the discourse has to move more towards the structural underpinning reasons of the uh, current let's say the the huge uh, uh, issue of mental health and one of the important points that we have made and we reiterate is that uh, this uh, the large public funding for healthcare and essentially incorporating mental health into public health infrastructure is completely essential so 
I think that's all for today. Thanks for listening to us. Thank keep listening to Material Analysis podcast and keep supporting us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.